Hey there, welcome to Livewire. I'm your host, Luke Burbank. This week on the show, Hari Kondabalu stops by, the very funny comedian who can now add Netflix cooking show host to his resume. The show is called Snack versus Chef, and in it, chefs compete to recreate beloved popular snacks uh, like Flamin' Hot Cheetos, which, by the way, if you didn't know, there's actually a term for that dust that you get stuck on your hands after you eat a Cheeto. It is called Cheetle, no relation to the actor. We're also going to hear some music from the very talented Margot Silker. About a year ago, I heard Margot Silker on the radio, and I pulled over, and I texted our executive producer and said, can we please find this person? And now, here she is on Livewire this week, so dreams come true. Our dream is that you'll stick around for today's episode, which starts right after this. I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. This episode of Livewire is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you can call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey there, Elena. Hey, Luke. How's it going? It's going well. Hey, are you ready to play a little station location identification examination? Let's do it. This is where I quiz Elena about a place in the country where Livewire is on the radio. She's got to guess where I'm talking about. I think you're going to get this one. Uh, This place is famous for its sweet onions. In fact, the sweet onions from this location are the official vegetable of the state that it's in. I believe that would be my home state of Georgia. And Vidalia, Georgia. (laughs) (laughs) Spoken like a Georgian who knows nothing about the onion industry in Washington State. Is it not Vidalia, Georgia? It's not Vidalia, Georgia. It's got a back-to-back name. It's often referred to as the town so nice they named it twice. The name actually comes from a Native American term of um, Sahaptin origin. It translates to place of many waters due to the lakes and rivers and streams in the area. The blank, blank... Sweet onion. I guess it's Walla Walla? That's right. It's the Walla Walla Sweet Onion, where we're on the radio on KWWS. Walla Walla. I see you looking at your computer, Elena, furiously trying to find out. It says that Vidalia is the Sweet Onion City, so I guess it's just they're so far apart, they, they're not competing with each other. Or, or maybe the listeners will email us in this week, and by next week we'll have a firm yeah. answer on Which town is the real sweet onion capital of the United States? So shout out to everyone listening on KWWS. All right, you ready to do the show? Let's do it. All right, take it away. From PRX, it's... Live Fire! 
week, comedian Hari Kondabalu. Leave him, Ernie. Leave him. Look, what are you doing? You have two different beds? Like, this isn't the 50s. Like, what's going on, Ernie? Why stay with Bert? With music from Margot Silker. Coming back into urban settings for shows, like, sometimes I'll have, like, cow poop on my shirt sleeve or something like that. And our fabulous house band. I'm your announcer, Elena Passarello, and now, the host of Livewire, Luke Burbank. Hey, thank you so much, Elena Passarello. Thanks to everyone tuning in from all over the country, including the true sweet onion capital of the United States, Walla Walla, (laughs) Washington. Speaking of delicious treats, we got a great show for you this week. We asked the listeners a question in honor of our friend Hari Kondabalu hosting this snack show on Netflix. We asked, what snack takes you back? And we're going to hear those responses coming up in just a few minutes. First, though, it's time for the best news we heard all week. This is our little reminder at the top of the show that there is good news happening out there in the world. Elena, what is the best news that you heard all week? Well, I almost didn't make it to recording today because I was crying so hard over this best news. Sounds like the most emotional news you heard all week. It's just a delight. Um, And it involves something I love and something I know you love, books and TikTok. Sadly, TikTok more than books these days because my brain is shrinking. Well, don't worry, because BookTok has your back, especially in terms of Lloyd Devereaux Richards. He is a retired law clerk who uh, always wrote in his spare time. He wrote suspense novels, thrillers up in his attic in Montpelier, Vermont. And it took him 14 years to finish his first novel, The Stone Maidens, which is a murder thriller. And it came out 11 years ago years ago in 2012 before there was TikTok it is important to note cuz the sales were all right but now 11 years later as i tell you this stone maiden is the number 15 best seller on amazon whoa it's beating stephen king it's beating prince harry <laughs> there's thousands of new sales ratings and reviews and they've all happened in the past 2 weeks The reason for this, by the way, I looked up my book, uh, which also came out in 2012 on Amazon while I was researching the story. Mm -hmm. And while The Stone Maidens is number 15, my book from 2012 is 1,285,331. So that's the worst news I've heard all week. Wait, is this this Animal Strike Curious Poses or Let Me Clear My Throat? (laughs) Let Me Clear My Throat. It's the first one. Come on, people. Let's get that up to a half million. (laughs) Elena's book is Let Me Clear My Throat. Well, it doesn't matter what happens. I bet I will not beat Lloyd Devereaux Richards, especially in terms of heartstring tugging, because the whole reason that this happened was his daughter, his adult daughter, Marguerite, just was thinking fondly about all of these evenings and weekends where she saw her dad trudging up to his attic and working on his book and how proud she was of him of of going the distance and finishing the novel. So she made a TikTok account for Stone Maidens on February 7th. And the TikTok is like 17 seconds long, and it's just these images of him in his 
attic working and walking around. And uh, the text of the TikTok is, my dad spent 14 years writing a book. He worked full time and his kids came first, but he made time for his book. He's so happy, even though his sales aren't great. I'd love for him to get more sales. He doesn't even know what TikTok is. <laughs> wow. So book talk, which is the book arm of TikTok, is a very mighty force. Take it from me. Um, if I was on book talk, my book would not be the 1.2 million book on Amazon. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> Within 24 hours, the TikTok had received like 4 million views and then 15 million views. Everybody was putting up all these comments like, I can't wait to read this book. I'm so excited. I've just left an Amazon review. I've just left a Goodreads review. And so then Marguerite posted another video of her father, again, learning what TikTok was mm. by watching this video and seeing just these hundreds of accolades and hearts and stuff scroll by. He bursts into tears. She bursts into Aww. tears. And then the last thing he says is, okay, now I need a nap. <laughs> Spoken like a true author. <laughs> wow. This is the new best way to publicize anything. Also, I, and my mother's probably listening to this, and she's going to put this in the box of reason number seven billion why you should have had kids, Elena. Just <laughs> they for them TikToks to make you TikTok famous <laughs> yeah. and move more copies of your book. Uh, the best news that I saw this week uh, involved the uh, story of Flacco the Owl. Flacco is a Eurasian eagle owl. Now, you know all about birds, Elena. You also write for Audubon Magazine, so I'm not sure if you've been following the case of Flacco, but oh. the bad news that happened was that the Central Park Zoo in New York had some vandalism go on where somebody cut basically like an enclosure open, and that happened to be where Flacco the owl was living. And now Flacco has been at the Central Park Zoo since he was like under a year old. So pretty much everything Flacco knows about existing in the world has been in captivity. By the way, I have to say Flacco, like I live in Baltimore, and we're talking about the quarterback, Joe Flacco. Flacco, no, that's right, go, Joe. <laughs> I really have that coming through here. Come on, Baltimore. So, so Flacco has been like in Central Park living in the trees, and they've been following Flacco, but they can't seem to catch him. He's fairly elusive. And the concern there is that Flacco doesn't really know how to survive in the wild because Flacco's never lived out there on his own. And uh, and so he was just kind of like, Flacco, by the way, means like skinny in Spanish. And he was mm -hmm. getting very close to achieving that goal <laughs> his first couple of weeks in the wild because he didn't know how to hunt. And um, he was like flew up to a shopping mall somewhere in Manhattan. Firefighters tried to catch him. That was unsuccessful. Um, but something really incredible recently happened, Elena, and as a bird enthusiast, you'll appreciate this. Flacco started vomiting the bones and fur of rats yeah. that Flacco has been apparently successfully hunting in Central Park. So they can't catch him, but they can catch his pellets, his barfed That's right. up pellets. Okay. And they've been analyzing what's coming out of Flacco, and it appears that Flacco has figured out how to hunt the, let's just say, extremely large population of rats <laughs> in Central Park. And because of this, they have decided that Flacco is now just allowed to live in Central Park. Oh my gosh. Because Flacco has figured it out, how to, how to hunt and how to keep feeding himself. So the news this week from the zoo is, we're going to leave Flacco alone. We've, we've basically released him into the wilds of Central Park, where, by the way, I will actually be this week so I'll be doing my traditional little jog in Central Park, and I'm going to keep an eye out for Flacco. Are they going to change his name if he keeps feeding himself so well to, to Gordo? Gordo? 
<laughs> We're all hoping that Flacco can get to Gordo status out there. And and Lord knows, it's a win-win because it'll be reducing the rat population Amen. in Central Park. So Flacco thriving in Central Park is the best news that I heard this week. Hey, let's welcome our first guest on over to the show. He's performed on Conan, Jimmy Kimmel Live, and The Late Show with David Letterman. Maybe more impressively to, uh, you know, our, our public radio listeners is that he's also a panelist on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. He also made the documentary The Problem with Apu, which led to actual casting changes at The Simpsons. Uh, these days, he's also the co-host, along with Megan Stalter, of the new Netflix hit series Snack vs. Chef, which he's going to tell us all about. We bring him on the air. This is Hari Kondabalu right here on Livewire. Hari, welcome back to Livewire. Thank you, Luke. It's a pleasure to be back. Um, can you please explain, for those who haven't seen it, and by the way, it's a small number of people in America, based on the rankings, what is the premise of Snack vs. Chef? Uh, there's a series of chefs series of chefs. There are chefs. There's not a series of them. There are just chefs that are there. Okay. Um, they... That calls to mind a very dark outcome for the chefs that are eliminated. No one's seen Jason for a while. Uh, there are different rounds and, and chefs and groups of three compete to recreate a very famous a snack like uh, a ho-ho or an Oreo cookie, uh, but they only have what's available in that kitchen. It's not like an industrial kitchen that you would have. So you, with whatever you have, let's see how close you can get. And you're not giving the recipe. It's intuition, right? And then the next round is you take an element of what's uh, distinct about that that first snack, and you use that element in what you create on your own. So, for example, the, uh, the first episode is about the Flaming Hot Cheeto. Mm -hmm. And what's a Cheeto... It's a high-end show, okay? <laughs> this NPR audience is all like, mm, I would never watch anything like that. <laughs> it's Downton Abbey or nothing. That's it. <laughs> so the Cheeto, when, when, you, when it ends up on your hand, after you eat it, there's like stuff on your hand. That's referred to as Cheetle. Um, <laughs> I will say... Not the actor, Don. <laughs> They cut that joke out of the show. I was very upset. I thought it was funny. Uh, yeah. As I, I consider myself a friend of yours, certainly an admirer of your work. I've watched the show with great interest. I loved the just the kind of Cheeto residue on the competitors' hands as yeah. the show unfolded. I felt like that was good continuity. Yes. I also was constantly thinking, what did Hari say that they took out? Oh, that, that. I felt like I could hear fragments of things that I knew you said oh. that got... You know, they only included so much of it. That Don Cheadle joke was certainly in it. Mm. And, and I said there should be a graphic that shows Don Cheadle as a Cheeto. <laughs> and they didn't do it. I'm like, I'm like, you're getting free. I'm not paid as a writer. I'm giving you free joke <laughs> advice here. But ultimately, the thing is, the, the show has done really well. But amongst children, because there's a kid's Netflix, it was number one for most of this past week. So I'm like the new Raffi. Wow. <laughs> I'm, I'm writing mango phone as we speak. <laughs> Are you? I, I want to know what your sort of like snacking resume is. How did you uh, get selected for being one of the hosts of this show? Um, you know, it, it, it's interesting because uh, I was surprised why that I was selected because I don't know if people are familiar with my stand-up comedy. Uh, half the people don't like it. 
right? <laughs> and half the people think it's really good, right? And that's why I'm good at comedy, right? Because right. I say something interesting. But what that not that doesn't make me good at is making money. And... <laughs> And, and being accessible to all people, right? Um, so I was confused, like, ah, oh, did Hassan and Aziz say no? Like, why am I getting this gig? <laughs> and then I'm like, no, they wouldn't even be offered, or whatever. Okay, so, so I'm like, this is weird. And then I started thinking about the jokes I've told. I'm like, I've made jokes about chocolate, white chocolate, Belgian chocolate, mangoes, Twizzlers, Skittles, Starburst, Tomka soup, pizza. Like, it's gluttony. I'm not known just for my hard-hitting political humor. I'm known for gluttony. <laughs> they were like, what's the word cloud next to this comedian? And it was like a lot of snack references. I mean, in my last Netflix special, there's like five minutes dedicated to mangoes. Oh, yeah. Just yeah. mangoes. Yeah. yeah. That's a great bit. Yeah. And that's a very solid part of that act, by yeah. the way. Yeah. 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 Uh, we have to take a very quick break here on Livewire. We're talking to Hari Kondabalu, the comedian and filmmaker, and also now one of the hosts of Snack versus Chef on Netflix. Number one show among impressionable young children. Stay with us. More Livewire in just a moment. Hey, Elena. Hey, Luke. I didn't see you there. It's that time of year again. My seasonal allergies are back. Oh, congratulations. But also, it's our spring member drive, which is happening right now through May 17th. Oh, I like that much more than seasonal allergies. Yeah, if you are not yet a member of Livewire's League of Extraordinary Listeners, well, now is the time to do it. Why? Well, because this League of Extraordinary Listeners uh, is what keeps the lights on over at Livewire Inc., uh, which is definitely not the association that we are part of. I'm probably a 501c3. They don't let me near any of the paperwork mm -hmm. or bookkeeping, and it's really better that way. Yes. Point is, we we are only able to keep doing this show because of support from our members, and we would love it if you could join us in that right now. Plus, there are all kinds of sweet perks, including uh, special discounted tickets to live recordings, on-air shout-outs, exclusive content, uh, and, Elena, uh, one more thing that, of course, we would not be a self-respecting public radio show if we didn't offer this. If we didn't offer the most iconic public radio swag of all time, a tote bag. True iconic status. Yeah, but it's not just any tote bag. This is like a really good tote bag. It's got a second zipper, an internal zipper. Yes, whatever you want to put in the tote bag, that's your business, okay? What we're <laughs> here to talk about is you keeping Livewire going. So head on over to LiveWireRadio.org to see the various member levels it does not matter how much you are giving every month to Livewire. It just matters that you do it because it goes a long way for us. So thank you. Vacations, weddings, birthdays, and reunions. Oh, my. There's so much going on. Get the most out of your spring plans by stocking up on pre-alcohol now. Zbiotics pre-alcohol probiotic drink is the world's first genetically engineered probiotic. It was invented by PhD scientists to tackle rough mornings after drinking. Here's how it works. When you drink, alcohol gets converted into a toxic byproduct in the gut. It's this byproduct, not dehydration, that's to blame for your rough next day. Zbiotics produces an enzyme to break this byproduct down. Just remember to make Zbiotics your first drink of the night, drink responsibly, and you'll feel your best tomorrow. 
Go to zbiotics.com slash livewire to get 15% off your first order when you use livewire at checkout. Zbiotics is backed with 100% money back guarantee. So if you're unsatisfied for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember to head to zbiotics.com slash livewire and use the code livewire at checkout for 15% off. Thank you to Zbiotics for sponsoring this episode and our good times. Hey, welcome back to Livewire from PRX, coming to you this week from Revolution Hall right here in Portland, Oregon. I'm Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarella. We're talking to Hari Kondabalu, one of the hosts of the new Netflix hit, Snack versus Chef. Now, you have had great success in your career. You've, uh, you've been on a number of late night shows. You made this amazing documentary, The Problem with Apu. Is being a Netflix host a different level of like awareness? Are, are people noticing you in the airport in a way they didn't previously? No, not at all, actually. <laughs> I, if I was a talking, flaming hot Cheeto, they uh-huh. probably, like, that's the, that's the thing from the show. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, but at the same time, I haven't, like, because, you know, I've been on the road and stuff, so I haven't picked my kid up from daycare since the show came out. So maybe when I pick my kid up at school, the other kids will be like, oh, my God, it's the new Raffi. <laughs> new Raffi's your dad? You were telling me backstage that you suspect your kid might be the cool kid at school. Yeah, I, I'm, like, because the other parents tell me and my partner, like, oh, like, so-and-so always talks about your son, is always saying your son did this or that. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. And the thing is, my kid never talks about the other kids. Ever. <laughs> doesn't, even, doesn't even know most of their names. Has very little interest. And I'm like, that's cool kid behavior. Like, yeah. you don't care about their lives. You have no interest in spending time with them outside of school. And it, it's, I'm like, part of me feels really good. And the other part of me is like... Oh, my God, my kid would bully me. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God, what am I racing right now? Because like, the thing I really wanted was, like, a brilliant student athlete that is a friend of the nerds. <laughs> I wanted that kind of, like, that, that figure that would unite the community, yes. right? <laughs> you might think, why don't you want your kid to be a nerd as well, like, like you were? And I'm like, no, because, you know, every parent wants their kids' lives to be better than theirs were. <laughs> and I think that has to come with, with being good at athletics as well as school. And I want this kid to be a super... I'm, I'm not, I don't want to put too much pressure on the kid. Sure. But, like, it's just that the genetics line up. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, this should be a, a slam dunk, which I hope he does much of. And, <laughs> but, yeah, I'm, I really want my, my... If my kid's a bully, it would break my heart. Like, yeah. it's like, what are you doing? Like, if he's a bully or Republican, that's redundant. Um... <laughs> I, I fe- sorry, I sure. just I want you to gotta pander. throw him a bone every once yeah, in a while. Yeah, I know public radio is nonpartisan. Wink, wink. <laughs> <laughs> this is uh, Live Wire Radio, by the way. Uh, Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarella. We're talking to Hari Kondabalu. Um, you're back out uh, touring and doing comedy on the road. Uh, I-, I noticed that you did some shows in Seattle that you did not charge anything for because you said you were working out new material. Well, I, w- I charged seven dollars plus fees. Oh, okay. <laughs> 
I was under the. I think I misread that because I thought you were saying it was. It was uh, there was no charge for those shows where you were developing new material. Or maybe you just walked in and you didn't pay any of them. I did. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I mean, like I do new material nights where it's like an hour of new material, and I just kind of like struggle through the hour. So really, I do owe them money. <laughs> like I tell them, like you're, you're probably like, oh my god, Harry Kondabolu in Seattle for seven dollars? How is this possible? And after you leave the show, you'll be like, this man owes me two dollars. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've I've used the Northwest this way, but especially Seattle, I've used it as an incubator for jokes. I try out stuff I would never use for crowds that pay more than seven dollars i i feel like these crowds are forgiving they're just happy that like oh somebody's doing a thing yay um i'm not saying this is not a first tier city portland's a second tier city i mean we all know this oh shut up you know you like being second tier don't even give me that as soon as everybody started moving here you complain and now you're booing, oh, but we are for, no, you are a second tier city and you love it. Nice. The beauty part is we can also remove all of the booing. <laughs> so like we can sum that right out, it'll sound like this audience was in complete agreement. Um, how, how do you, when you're doing one of these shows where you're kind of working it out, yeah. how do you, other than just laughter, how do you have a sense like this thing has potential to be uh, a good joke and this thing, when do you know to give up on something that you've been trying and it's just kind of not working? Um, I do four of the shows. By the fourth one, you get a pretty good mm. sense that the audience is completely wrong. <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> got four bad audiences in a row. What's wrong with these? It's like you date someone and all of their exes are complete psychos. <laughs> right, right, right. Like, wow, what are the chances? You met eight complete psychos. Wow. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Um, you know, I mean, if you get a laugh, on, at least on a couple of the shows off a of thing, it, it might indicate like, okay, so maybe um, the delivery was better at some at one of them and you script the delivery or there was a pause or timing or, you know, and, and when you do the shows outside of that little room, that 40 seat theater that, that I work out in. You know, you have to actually see, did what make the joke funny, was it the actual joke or was it the enthusiasm and energy you had sharing something new? Because people get excited that, like, you're excited and they want to be in on the joke and they want to be, you know, they're, they're at a comedy show, right? So, But when you run out of that enthusiasm and all you have is, like, like performing ability to make it feel like you're into it, does it still hold? And huh. at that point, it's like, how many husbands did Elizabeth Taylor have? Like, you right. know, you run Exactly. You lose the... Another comedian doing that material. <laughs> Richard Burton twice? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I, uh, I saw that somebody had tweeted at you. Uh, they said, uh, Hari Kondabalu was the first comedian I watched who didn't speak in his parents' accent when he was talking as them. Mm -hmm. uh, was that Ooh. a decision that you made <laughs> early in your comedy career? Before you even started actually getting up on stage and telling jokes? No, I mean, I started on stage doing the accent because I was 17. Mm -hmm. It was 2000. Like, the only uh, brown people I'd seen in comedy, you know, like other than Apu, you know, like, were, were also doing the accent, you know? Like, if you were hired for a role as a South Asian person or Arab or anything, 
everybody who was brown. Like the accent was o- was always mandatory, mm-hmm. right? Because you were either playing the comic relief in some way, like an immigrant that just didn't get it, or you're playing a terrorist, or you know, there's and they those all required accents, right? So to me, I knew accents were where uh, the money was, right? At 17, and I knew that's what people were going to laugh at. And then, you know, as I got older, as I got politicized in 9-11, obviously was a big part of that. Like, okay, like, what am I doing? We have a limited number of representations and I'm like kind of just milking this funny voice that honestly, I didn't even do a good Indian accent. You know what I mean? (laughs) I was doing an impression of Hank Azaria's impression of an Indian person. Do you know what I mean? Like, I wasn't, I don't have an ear for accents. Like, I don't, my accent doesn't sound like my parents at all. You know what I mean? But when you grow up here and that's the dominant like comedic voice you're hearing from your community you know that's the go-to and that's what like casting directors were looking for like i like i interviewed so many people for that problem with apu documentary and so many of them like have like either were from india grew up in south asian households like knew like how to do the a variety of indian accents like there's no such thing as an indian accent that's like saying an american accent and you're doing a southern accent i'm like well that is an american accent like no people in rest of the country would strongly disagree right. that that is that is what an american accent is so but they would want the apu one they want that sing-songy jokey kind of a voice that is very unrealistic though sometimes you do meet people that have that sing-songy thing and it's like i know that's your actual voice but stop it <laughs> stop it did you learn english from watching the simpsons how is that your voice right now so you said it was was it post 9-11 for you when you said, okay, I'm going to eliminate that from my act, which feels like it must have been a Not kind of Not immediately because uh, I still needed to make people laugh. So <laughs> it was a weird kind of split personality of an act because part of it was talking about like detentions and deportations of of immigrants and civil rights and injustice and the other one is like also my parents sound like this because I still needed laughs you know the other stuff was just like a 19 year old at that point ranting about politics which is the worst kind of ranting (laughs) somebody who really isn't informed but is angry you know (laughs) so then it's like all right, I feel like that hit Portland closer to home than I intended. Um, <laughs> this is a thing I overheard at a coffee shop. All right. <laughs> um, well, speaking of uh, of Twitter, I'm curious what your because this started with something somebody had tweeted about yeah. your act. What what's your uh, as we record this? Yeah, yeah. What's your current relationship with that platform? I'm I'm still on it, but I'm, I'm I think it's time to jump ship and go to the other social media platforms that obviously are very ethical and um, <laughs> are not owned by billionaires who don't care. Or, right, right. I mean, it's, a, it's, it's, you know, I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting off. I use it still to at least post the shows, you know, where then I can make fun of the thing. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm trying not to post anything on it that is anything close to content. Mm. And, you know, I mean, I just, it was already kind of destroying the world. And then Elon Musk bought it. And it's like, oh, no, <laughs> like, this is actually going to get worse. So you're on it for now, but you're using it mostly to promote your programs. 
uh, and your things that you're doing, but yeah. you're kind of not putting original content up. So you you have a every now and then I put a thought up and I feel guilty about it, <laughs> and then I look at like, oh, good thing nobody liked it. <laughs> <laughs> That's an interesting because you have like you have uh, what like 150,000 followers uh, on there. It's not good a, thing I invested so much energy in that particular social media platform <laughs> as opposed to the other ones. Yeah, <laughs> I got off of Twitter. It was a very overly dramatic scene. Somebody texted me that uh, you know they were letting Trump back on, and that for me had been kind of a bright line. And so I put on a sad song by the band Big Thief. <laughs> I got a glass of wine, and I deleted my account. It was a whole weird ritualized thing. It was... You're like in a bubble bath. <laughs> it was, and I had like, and I had like fifteen thousand followers, and twelve thousand were eggs. <laughs> so you know, you've got like again, it's a, particularly if you work in the kind of business that you work in, it's a, it is a thing that's important to what you do. There is a level of fame that lets you cut it, and you're fine. And I am not at that because I still need people to come to shows, right. and I have a child to feed, and yeah. I'm a touring performer. Like right. I, I still need that thing, and. And that's the part that is unfortunate. I'm like, so please go to the other places so I can make right. you come to my shows from those places. It's like a weird kind of thing because I don't want to be on it. And to be honest, like, it, if anything, it stunted me creatively because mm. your thoughts are not going into your notepads. You know, your mm. thoughts are not going into a place that you're looking at again. What you're doing is you're putting your thoughts on this platform and you know, and it, people say it's just a test stuff up. What ends up happening is you put it on there and you forget you you forgot you ever wrote it because you're getting that little rush from mm. people liking it and retweeting it and not from what it was meant to be, which is like you're supposed to craft this. You're supposed to make this a thought that ends up going to a larger group of people as a joke. Instead, it becomes a premise machine that you throw away. You throw away these perfectly good ideas. So to me, I'm hoping that... Twitter ends up being the best thing for my writing because I feel like I've almost been handcuffed by it for years. And I think a lot of other comics probably feel the same way. They've been writing jokes that are like one line and they're not they're not one-liner comics. Do you know what I mean? That's yeah. not where they do their best work. And I feel like it certainly is as, you know, I, I go through old tweets sometimes and I'm like, this should have been a bit. And I never mm. wrote this, and mm. now Trump's out of office, and I can't use it. Well, because, you, know, you know, don't give up faith on that one. Harry. I mean, <laughs> all right, easy. We're editing all of those boos out, and you know it. This is Livewire from PRX. Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarella. We're talking to Hari Kondabalu. Now, Hari, this is what we've been talking about with the Twitter stuff is actually really related to what we want to talk about in the next part of our chat, which is that... You are, like a lot of people, conflicted about your relationship with Twitter. Yeah. And we're wondering if Twitter is going to exist uh, years from now because of what we'll just call all of the things going on. Right, right, right. <laughs> or even it might just implode. Who knows? So we wanted to try to sort of get some clarification from you about some of your tweets, some of your actual tweets, okay. before they're lost to history. Okay. When the platform goes down. So in front of me, right here on this table, we've got an actual jar. This has five of your real tweets in it. We call this the jar of tweets. <laughs> oh, that's so great that the budget went up on this show. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, some of us made the painful business decision to quit Twitter, Hari. <laughs> you know? Some of us aren't co-hosting the number one Netflix children's show currently. <laughs> Here's the plan. Uh, we'd like you to please select 
a, a piece of paper, which got one of your actual tweets on it. Elena's going to read the tweet, and then we would just love to get uh, a little more context or expansion on the thought. As you were saying, you know, maybe, maybe these are great premises. I remember this one. Uh, this is a, a tweet that you made. Are you the Bert or the Ernie of your relationship? <laughs> Clearly me and my partner had just had a fight. I mean, <laughs> that seems clear to me, and that is a passive-aggressive <laughs> uh, response to that that I figured nobody would get. Um, I think I'm the Ernie, man. Yeah. But so here's what I, I was looking at your feed, and I was noticing that this is a sort of a theme. You've really developed some, it seems, pretty specific theories about the personality types of Bert and Ernie yes. in relationships. What, what, what are the kind of broad strokes of that? Ernie is lighthearted. Ernie just wants to make Bert happy. And sure, he's a bit of a trickster, right? <laughs> he likes little pranks and stuff, but he cares. And Bert is just like, oh, I like oatmeal. You know what I mean? Like, he's just, because <laughs> Bert's eyebrows are always furrowed. And he's always like, Ernie. Uh, and, and the whole time, I'm like, leave him, Ernie. Mm. Leave him. <laughs> Like, what are you doing? You're not even, you're, you have two different beds? Like, this isn't the 50s? Like, what's going on, Ernie? Why stay with Bert? I mean, look, I don't know what's happening when the cameras aren't rolling, but there might be a reason, you know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Sure. So you feel that Bert is irretrievably broken. This isn't one of those opposites attract, it takes all kinds. You feel Bert is essentially toxic. What I'm saying is that I haven't seen a single scene of Sesame Street, and I've watched a lot the last two years, <laughs> where he's been with a therapist. I haven't seen, or honestly, they both should be with a therapist. And I don't understand why they, because I think that would mean a lot to children to see Bert and Ernie with therapists. Like, it's okay to express your feelings. It's okay right. to talk through your issues with your undefined roommate, partner, person. All right, Hari, please select another tweet from the jar of tweets. Okay, uh, the fact that an apple was the temptation in the Garden of Eden and not a mango makes the whole thing suspect. <laughs> mango, like mangoes are something you give it all up for. An apple, are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and if it wasn't really an apple, I mean, it must have been like, oh, for this, really? <laughs> this is fine. Yeah, I get we're in the Northwest. I get it. <laughs> but mangoes are the superior fruit. My God, they're so sensual. It is an event, I will tell you that. And maybe it has to do with the geography of where we are because there are so many apples. But a mango is a whole thing. It's like you sit down with it. You're, it's like delicious. It's a treat. An apple is like... I had a, a teacher uh, at Daniel Bagley Elementary School, Mrs. Wharton, who would eat the entire apple and then eat the entire core while maintaining unbroken <laughs> eye contact with me during detention. And it scarred me deeply. Was your teacher a horse? <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute. A lot of stuff is making more sense. This was a stable. The hay, the smell. All right, one more tweet, please, from the jar of tweets. Okay. All right. Apparently, you also tweeted, my comedy can destroy relationships. Again, we had had a bad argument. <laughs> no, but, uh, <laughs> no uh, um, I have, I have um, heard from multiple people after shows 
Uh, and it's usually almost always the same combination of a woman of color and a white man, mm. right? And, uh, you know, after, like, a show, the woman of color will come up to me and say, the last time I saw you perform, uh, I brought the dude I was dating, and he was a white guy, and he hated your stand-up, and that meant to me that he didn't believe most of what I believed in, and we broke up shortly after. <laughs> I've heard that over the last 20 years at least 40 times. Wow. And I'll t- every time, it feels good. <laughs> the power. The yeah. power. And also, I can, I can imagine, like, oh, okay, I, I bet you your friends told you this wasn't a good person. Mm-hmm. Your family said it wasn't a good, a good person. But it took me. Yeah. <laughs> Not just the number one co-host of children's programming on Netflix, but also separating the wheat from the chaff from the stage. Hari Kondabalu, everyone. That was Hari Kondabalu right here on Livewire. Snack versus Chef is available on Netflix. And Hari is also back out on tour. So catch him when he comes to a town near you. Hey, special thanks this episode to Robert Peacock of Portland, Oregon, and Kristen Finley of Vancouver, Washington. Robert and Kristen are part of the Livewire member community, and they are generously supporting our show with a donation each month. And we are super thankful for that support because it is genuinely, and I am not, this is not hyperbole, my friends. This is not me exaggerating. Those donations, the kind that Robert and Kristen are making, are what uh, keep Livewire going. So big thanks to both of them for keeping the show in business. You're tuned in to Livewire. Each week, of course, we ask our listeners a question. In honor of Hari Kondabalu's show, Snack vs. Chef, we asked our listeners, what is a snack that takes you back? And Elaine has been collecting up those responses. What do you see it? Oh, these are great. <laughs> uh, Dan would like to nominate as a snack that takes Dan back Planters Cheese Balls, which, ooh-wee, I loved those so much when I was a kid. My mother ate them. And they came in, remember they used to come in that can? Did you ever have them? Yes. According to Dan, and this is something that I've noticed before, they don't taste the same anymore. There's so many snacks from my childhood, like uh, moon pies, they don't taste the same anymore. Definitely cheese balls, where either my palate has gotten better or the snacks have gotten less tasteful. (laughs) Yeah, I was as a kid, we had a pretty healthy food household, not because my parents were particularly obsessed with health, but I think my mom just thought junk food was more expensive. And so anytime I got a chance to have like a Pringle or a cheese puff or anything that was just like highly, highly artificial, I was like very much there for it. And I I feel like if I open up a can of Pringles and I did not eat all of them, I should be nominated for some sort of, I don't know, medal of self-discipline or something. A can of Pringles is a single serving. It really is, as is a sleeve of Oreos, in my experience. You get a tall glass of milk, a sleeve of Oreos, and that's that's your night right there. That's one USD recommended. Also, a box of Girl Scout cookies. (laughs) Also, not officially a USD recommendation. No, Um, no. What's uh, another snack that takes one of our listeners back? Okay, how about this one from Andrew? 
Ripple Chips and FOD. I guess FOD stands for French Onion Dip. And Andrew says, nothing screams the Midwest get-together like Ripples and FOD. Super Bowl, birthday, funeral, FOD. <laughs> I, I didn't know they were called Ripple Chips. I think that might be a regionalism as it's well. It's got to be a Midwest thing as well. Those are the ruffle ruffle chips or ripples. I wonder why. Maybe maybe because the Midwest is such an unruffled place. Huh. Maybe. <laughs> Any kind of a dip that is shelf-stable, like it does not need to be refrigerated, I know I'm going to enjoy that experience. You know when you're like walking through the like chip section and there's just all that stuff that's in a can, whether it's like uh, sort of refried beans or something that is called cheese, but I mean in quotes, mm-hmm. or the dip. I that those are my like some of my very favorite kinds of bad for me foods to consume. I love a good shelf stable dip. Maybe that'll make the apocalypse okay because all of these foods are going to be around. <laughs> all right, one more snack that takes one of our listeners way back. Oh, how about this one from Derek? I feel like this is also regional. The snack that takes Derek back is picnic. P I K N I K. You know absolutely. it? Absolutely. The shoestring potatoes. Yeah. <laughs> also came in a can that you would you'd open that little like sealed sort of piece of I don't know aluminum at the top. With the little tab, and it would make that noise that like like yes. that opening noise. I could hear that from like a mile away, like a cat <laughs> with a can opener. And then you would be like, I just want to like put all of these sticks in my mouth at once. That just seemed yeah. to be the goal. <laughs> Yeah, per shoestringed potato, there like wasn't quite enough there for a bite. Mm-mm. But if you like just grabbed a big like handful of them, you could get you get a decent chomp in. Like kindling, you just get like a like a firewood sized bundle of right? picnic. <laughs> I mean, as an adult now with like a car and access to all of that kind of food, I'm surprised my whole house isn't just like shoestring potatoes, <laughs> um, like Charleston chew, and like a. Slurpees from all the things that I like, you know, I, I had some of as a kid, but I just thought adulthood is going to be having all of this all the time because whenever this is delicious. you want it. Yeah. yeah. And now you're like, oh no, I think I should have this protein bar and these uh, okra slices. Well, let's not get crazy. I mean, I'm still, <laughs> still got some not great habits. Well, listen, thanks to everyone who sent in your responses for our question about food that takes you back. We got another question for next week's show, which we'll reveal in just a little bit. In the meantime, you are listening to LiveWire. I'm Luke Burbank, here with Elena Passarello. We're going to take a very quick break, but don't go anywhere, because when we come back, we're going to hear some music from Margot Silker that you're not going to want to miss. Stay with us. LiveWire is thrilled to be partnering with Portland's own Portal Tea this season. Formerly known as Tea Chai Tay, Portal Tea is the premier tea company in the Pacific Northwest. They make one-of-a-kind handcrafted tea blends like cinnamon churro chai and blueberry cream Earl Grey. Use the code LiveWire, all lowercase, for 20% off at portaltea.co. Welcome back to LiveWire. I'm your host, Luke Burbank, here with Elena Passarella. Okay, before we get to our musical guest uh, this week, a little preview of next week's show. We've got a very special Women's History Month special in store for you all. We're going to be talking to Emmy-nominated writer and comedian Jamie Loftus about Ack 
cast, her hit podcast about the Kathy cartoon and why she feels like the character of Kathy never really got a fair shake. Uh, then we're going to talk to Sylvia Vasquez Lovato. Uh, she was the first openly gay woman to climb the seven summits, which are the highest mountains on all seven continents. Uh, she did this to really try to work through her childhood trauma. Uh, the book that she wrote about it is called In the Shadow of the Mountain. We're going to hear about that. Then we are going to catch up with a legendary indie musician and activist, Ani DeFranco. During the Woo-hoo. pandemic, Ani recorded her 22nd <laughs> album. All of them released via her own label, Righteous Babe Records, which she founded when she was like 19. A lot of people now, because the technology allows for it, they put out their own albums. Ani DeFranco, at age 19, had this already figured out. Mm. So we're going to talk to her about that. And as always, we got a question for our listeners. Elena, what are we going to be asking the folks? Okay, I think we asked a similar question to this last year, and I have to say it was one of my favorite audience card moments Very ever. illuminating. So don't let us down, wonderful audience members. I can't wait to learn a whole bunch of new things as the answer to this question. What unsung or undersung hero from women's history would you like to shout out? Yeah, shout it from the rooftops. Woohoo! The good news and bad news is, um, the, the bad news is there are, have been many women that have been undersung in history. The good news is we're going to hear about more of them. There's a long list of people that we should be talking about more and elevating more. So if you've got uh, an answer to that question, go ahead and hit us up on social media over at Twitter or Facebook. We're at Livewire Radio pretty much everywhere. Oh, and you can also check out our podcast over on Spotify. This is Livewire from PRX. Our musical guest this week is a singer-songwriter who spent the last six years touring internationally as well as all across the U.S. It's also a regular fixture on the music festival circuit. Pitchfork says her debut album, Ho Ho Real, showcases her distinct personality with vivid lyrics and lovely, thoughtful arrangements. Check this out. It's Margot Silker right here on Livewire. Hi, Margo. Hi. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I have to tell you that about a year ago, I was in my car. I was listening to OPB. I was listening to Think Out Loud. And they had a segment that was people suggesting or recommending the songs that had gotten them through the pandemic. And somebody said this Margo Silker song to Hatchapee. <laughs> and I heard it, and I pulled the car over, and I literally texted our executive producer and said, can you please find who Margot Silker is and see if we could have her on Livewire? And here you wow. are. It worked. Wow. Here I am. I'm curious uh, when, you, when you first started playing music. Like, how old were you? I was singing before I could do many other things. <laughs> I grew up singing, and uh, I was in my first band when my sister Sarah was born, and we're, we've been doing music together ever since then. Um, and I started guitar when I was 12 years old in like a lunchtime guitar class, and we, we learned how to sing like Simon and Garfunkel. <laughs> do you remember the first song that you could actually play on guitar? Um, I believe it was Hound Dog. <laughs> I actually heard there was a really great profile on you on, on National Public Radio, and it really focused on the idea that you, and maybe at, the, at that time you might have been living in Eastern Oregon, yes. um, but the idea that you have spent a lot of time living in pretty rural parts of the country, and you make a certain kind of music, and how do you, 
connect those ideas? How do you relate to the folks in, in Goldendale when maybe you don't share all the same worldview? Well, it's, uh, you know, my, my MO has always been, like, to meet people where they are. And um, as my life unfolded, it turned out I just wanted to kind of be connecting with people of all different walks of life and coming from different backgrounds. And uh, if anything, there's kind of funny, like, coming back into urban settings for shows, like, sometimes I'll have, like, uh, cow poop on my yeah. shirt sleeve or something like that. And it's like, oh, okay, it's probably not everyone moving in and out of this green room is dealing with that. <laughs> <laughs> but um, that's that's something that sometimes is a little distinct. Huh. Um, but yeah, I my it time, happens more yeah. than you'd think. <laughs> we had Kishi Bashi here, just covered in manure. It's <laughs> wild. <laughs> They'll cut that out. Don't worry. So what song are we going to hear, Margo? Well, I don't know. I'd like to do, well, I said I was going to do one song, but maybe I'll just go ahead and do Tehachapi. Let's leave it up to the people. You want to hear Tehachapi? All right. I wasn't trying to put pressure on you. I really wasn't. Oh, it's all good. I'm used to performing under pressure. There wasn't much of a warning. He disappeared one morning Put his mattress up on the back of a pickup truck And I'd been working My shoulders were hurting I'd been learning How to turn my muscle into something Will you think of me? Will you think of me? Will you think of me on your way back to Tehachapi? In Sonoma County Well, the grass is feisty It could put a tear in your eye Make your nose run like it was wanted You worked on the water And I was out in the pasture And that fog rolling into Petaluma at night Brought those two together Will you think of me? Will you think of me? Will you think of me on your way back to Tehachapi? Will I cross your mind down the 99? Will you think of me on your way back to Tehachapi? I told you I was willing But you heard struggling Tell me how does a girl with a family like yours end up so desperate? Well, it's these little feats that keep me going. And the day that I quit trying is the day my heart stops growing. Will you think of me? Will you think of me? Will you think of me on your way back to Tehachapi? Will I cross your mind? Down the 99 Will you think of me On your way back to Tehachapi Baby won't you think of me On your way back to Tehachapi Margo Selker That was Margot Silker.
You're on Livewire at the Alberta Rose Theater. Her latest album, Poho Real, is available now. You can also catch Margo at a town near you. She is currently touring with the Drive-By Truckers. All right, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Livewire. A huge thanks to our guests, Hari Kondabalu and Margot Silker. Livewire is brought to you in part by Alaska Airlines. Laura Haddon is our executive producer. Heather D. Michelle is our executive director. Our producer and editor is Melanie Sepchenko. Our assistant editor is Trey Hester. Our marketing manager is Paige Thomas. And our production fellow is Tanvi Kumar. Yasmin Median is our intern. Our house band is Ethan Fox Tucker, Sam Tucker, A.L. Alves, and A. Walker Spring, who also composes our music. Molly Pettit is our technical director and mixer, and our house sound is by D. Neil Blake. Additional funding provided by the Regional Arts and Culture Council and the James F. and Marion L. Miller Foundation. Livewire was created by Robin Tenenbaum and Kate Sokoloff. This week, we'd like to thank members Robert Peacock, Portland, Oregon, and Kristen Finley of Vancouver, Washington. For more information about our show or how you can listen to our podcast, head on over to livewireradio.org. I'm Luke Burbank for Elena Passarello and the entire Livewire crew. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week. Wouldn't it be amazing to have a piping hot episode of Livewire delivered right to your heart and ears each week? Well, guess what? That can happen when you subscribe to the Livewire podcast feed and you'll get the joy of surprising conversation every week. So go ahead and do it. It's super easy. You click on the button at the top of your podcast app and bam, you are Livewire subscribed. And if you're still, you know, feeling the love, if you're enjoying the show, hey, maybe you could hook us up and uh, leave us a quick review. That'll help more people find out about Livewire. And thank you.